My name is Randy, um, one of the leaders uh, here at the church, and glad to be with you this morning. Uh, for some time now, and for another couple of months-ish, we are in a series from the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews was written, like most of the letters in the New Testament, addressing various challenges that the readers were having related to their faith in Christ. And um, these particular uh, audience were Jewish Christians to whom the book was written. They were struggling. They were experiencing a lot of persecution. Um, it wasn't that long after uh, Christ had returned and ascended to heaven, uh, yet it was long enough to where, gosh, is this really, you know, is this really true? And still kind of struggling with that a bit. And they were being tempted to ignore or to minimize their faith in Christ and return to dependency upon the Jewish system uh, based out of rules and regulations and do this and don't do this. And similarly, we are often tempted um, in that many of us struggle with the temptation to live according to a rule-based system of do's and don'ts. Somehow that seems easier. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Tell me what not to do and I'll do my very best sometimes to not do it. That's what religion tends to lead us towards. And though we might know something different than that, there is that temptation that leads us to, well, just tell me what's in and what's out. A few weeks ago, we had a guest speaker named Malcolm Smith, and he um, spoke to us about God's covenant from Hebrews 9. And one of the things about the understanding of covenant is that it isn't so much about what you do and don't do as who you're related to, who you're connected to. And so if you weren't here for that talk uh, and or you would like to hear it again, it is posted on our website. I would highly, highly encourage you listening to it. It was perhaps one of the most uh, profound teachings that I have heard and experienced um, for a long time. And so I would just really encourage you. It's out on the website. It's a member area. Go to sermons. And then it's going to ask for a username and password. And it happens to be Hope and Hope. Um, So if you can't remember that, um, call. Yeah, it's hopeless. Call call Clara, email, text uh, somebody, Hope and Hope. Uh, See, I have a challenge because I I went trying to use Grace and Grace and Faith and Faith because... You, you know, it's Hope and Hope is one of my daughter's middle names, but so is Grace and Faith and Mercy and all those. Anyway, it was hard for me to remember, and I finally tried all five, and one of them worked. It was great. <laughs> so you can try that, too, if you can't remember. But anyway, I would highly encourage you um, to take some time to listen to that. Um, he does have a book, of course, as many uh, speakers do. Excellent, excellent material. Anyway, in his book on the covenant, Malcolm describes the work of Jesus in this way, and I found it uh, encouraging and and helpful to think about this distinction, this challenge we face relative to rules-based or relationship-based and understanding about uh, God's work in our lives. He says this on page 173. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he declared that the penalty for our sins, which Jesus had freely taken, 
had been paid in full. Our sentence placed on him was fulfilled. Jesus is risen from the dead is that Jesus no longer carrying, he is no longer carrying our sins that took him to death. He, as our representative, was forgiven of all our transgressions. Our guilt no longer weighs him down, and he has been freed from all necessity of further punishment for those sins. If Jesus is alive from the dead, then we are forgiven of all of our sins. The penalty for sin was and is death. But the fact that we know that that had Jesus' death had that effect is that he raised again. And similarly, we can have the confidence to know that our sins are forgiven because Jesus has risen. The penalty was paid. Had that not accomplished the penalty, Jesus might have had to stay in the grave. Does that make sense? We don't think of that. That doesn't seem like an option. But it was because the penalty for death is the penalty for sin is death. But that Christ rose from the dead declares that the penalty was met. We do not have to fulfill that. None of us have to fulfill that debt ever, ever again. What that means is that all our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. There is nothing that we are to do to pay for our sins. Jesus paid for them all. Therefore, we are no longer required to fulfill any rules and regulations to earn God's favor. Let me say that again. Therefore, we are no longer required to fulfill any rules and regulations to earn God's favor. None. We have God's favor. Not as a result of anything we have done or could do, but rather completely as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Our sins are forgiven, removed and forgotten, we're declared in the Hebrews, by God. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, you or I can do to be more acceptable to God. Friends, that is good news. And we struggle because we're constantly drawn back, just as these Jewish Christians were, to, yeah, but what do I got to do? What do I have to do to earn God's favor? I, don't, I, didn't, I blew it last night, right? And I got to go to confession again today, you know, because I blew it. That's, that's the old system. We do blow it. And there is a response that we need to make, but it is not for the purpose to earn God's favor, for him to like us again. Now, I do that, you know, we did that with our parents, right? You know, if we blow at something and we upset and we... You know, turn over the turnip cart and whatever it is that we did. 
you know, we got to kind of make it up to our parents. You know, we got to, you know, be grounded for a week or two or, you know, something. We got to do something to pay for it. That is not the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is it's all, all, all paid for. And I don't think we live there. I don't think we do. Today's January 1st. It's an opportunity to leave behind the old and press ahead. And we're going to talk about that. But friends, every day is that opportunity to leave behind the old. Every day. And to press on to what lies ahead. This morning we've arrived at chapter 10 of Hebrews. The author here uh, restates... Uh, numerous elements, even some passages that he has covered in earlier chapters. Um, and so we're going to look at those together. Before we do that, verses 1 through 18 that we're going to cover today, let's pray. Papa, as we um, sit and reflect uh, the first day of a new year, we 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 get that we we haven't we have this built into our, the systems that today is a new day today is the beginning of a future opportunity for things to change and and there are some things probably for each of us that do need to change there are some elements of our lives that are Uh, hindering us from moving each day into the future. But the past and the future has been paid for. We have been relieved of the obligation to pay the penalty for sin. So what is left to us, Lord, is the opportunity to live to life, to live freely, loving you, Just as Adam and Eve did before the fall in the garden, walking with you, talking with you, playing with you, enjoying you. Nothing hindering that. Nothing separating us. And that is what Jesus longs for each and every human being to experience. And we need it again today. We need it again this year. So as we just reflect a little on probably things we know, things we've heard, might your Holy Spirit uh, drop it the 16 inches from our head to our heart to where, oh, there is revelation of knowing how it is that we're to live. Not as we've lived in the past, but in a whole new way. Help me as I share um, that I would be not a hindrance and that your Holy Spirit would be free to do and share all that he needs to. In Jesus' name. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 of Hebrews 10. We're going to look at some of those. Then we'll do a middle section and then we'll complete down to verses 18. And uh, someone else will be picking up again next week starting at 19. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 4. 
The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, because they were not able to provide thorough and complete cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. As we've pointed out numerous other occasions, throughout the book of Hebrews, the author makes numerous comparisons between Jesus and the good news about him to the old Mosaic system declaring that Jesus is better than that. In fact, Christ's sacrifice is the reality of which the sacrifices in the law of Moses were merely a shadow of, merely sort of a um, preview. You know, I was, I was thinking about using a, a movie clip. You know, we, we're very familiar with movie trailers, Right? They're usually two minutes, minute and a half. And the problem with them is they actually show you parts of the real movie. And this isn't quite like that. The sacrifices of the Old Testament system did not truly reflect the ultimate cross and the effect of Jesus as once and for all. But it's kind of like that. They, they're, they're sort of giving you an idea of something to come a taste of the real meal that's to come. The offering of the sacrifices of animals had to be done over and over, year after year. But the death of Jesus were spoken of many times as being once and for all, paying the penalty of all sin. And while most of us would say we, we know that, we, we get it, in reality, many of us do not fully understand or grasp the meaning. If Jesus' death once and for all paid the penalty for all sin, then again, as I suggested earlier, there is nothing we have to do, there's nothing we can do to earn God's acceptance or forgiveness beyond what Christ has accomplished. God's acceptance, his forgiveness is offered freely to all who will accept it based on a historical done and completed act. We do not have to stand in the corner. We do not have to give up our iPhones and our iPods for a week or two or a month or forever. Heaven forbid. He has paid it all. And as I reflected on this, trying to think about, okay, how can we, how can we better grasp, how can we understand this? I, I was thoughtful that there's, there's essentially three primary responses to this information. 
And I've, I've highlighted and suggested some already, but I'm going to cover it again. The, the first response is to really not believe it and continue living a, a rules-based uh, do's and don'ts, trying to earn God's acceptance and forgiveness. This really can't be true. Jesus can't really have paid the, the fullness and the penalty for my sin. I still must, I still have to pay. And that's a nice idea, and, and that sounds good, but it, it just can't be true. That's, this, that's one of the responses we could have. It, it sounds kind of crazy, but it is, in fact, how many are caught in what I might call Christian religiosity. And it is addressed time and time and time again throughout the book of Hebrews because that is exactly what the Jewish Christians were struggling with. Jesus, is Jesus really enough? Or do we need to continue to you know, do the sacrifices and do the obeisance and fulfill all the rules and regulations? And, but Hebrews says, no, we don't. The gospel says, no, we don't. A second response um, is that if all my sins are forgiven, then it doesn't matter how I live. I can continue to sin and do whatever I want to do. It doesn't matter. Jesus has already forgiven me. And that, too, sounds crazy, but it is, in fact, one of the ways that people respond, living out what might be called Christian libertinism. And the Apostle Paul addresses this really clearly in Romans 6, where he says this in verses 1 through 4. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We don't have to keep on sinning. We are released from that obligation, that tyranny, that master, the drive for self and self-focus can be released. It needs to be released. A third response, and perhaps the hardest, is what Paul portrays in the next few verses of Romans 6. Verses 6 through 11, where he says, could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin, miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we now also live with him as well. Christ rose from the dead. He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. He died once for all to end sin's power. But now he lives forever in unbroken fellowship with God. So you also must consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin 
and alive to God through Christ Jesus. What, what Paul is describing is a new life, a new way of living, something different from the past. Not a life of religious rules of do's and don'ts to make sure that we're okay. Not a life of freedom to sin because of God's forgiveness. But in Christ, our death to sin and our living a new life with Christ. What Paul is, is, is trying to help us grasp, and I think Malcolm did this very well that, that day when he taught about covenant that was really helpful to me, is that when, when Christ died on the cross, we died. The, the person of sin, the man, the woman, the child bound to a pattern of sin, bound to a system of sin and death, that system that came as a result of Adam and Eve's failure, their choice to be God, that died. And when Christ rose from the dead, when he came alive again, we rose from the dead with him. He rose with a, a new body, not the earthly body, but a new and heavenly body. And Paul speaks of that in Second Corinthians, that we long for that. In this new life in Christ, we long for the completion, the fulfillment of what is to come. We're sort of in between times right now. The kingdom came, it is present, and yet it will come. Heaven has been established, a new life has been promised, it has been provided for us, and we live in that, but there is yet a fulfillment, a future element that is yet to come. As Paul in Galatians 3.20 speaks of how it is we're to live this life now, here on earth, in between the times, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But how, how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, the author of Hebrews goes on and, and gives us a picture in verses 5 through 10 about what is that life to look like? What, what is that to be? Verses 5 through 10 of Hebrews 10. When Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. They were inadequate. They weren't the real thing. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. 
nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. And by this, he cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy. Holy meaning separate, set apart, a new way of being, of of experiencing and expressing life. God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus, as the new Adam, lived a life of obedience to the will of God, living not for himself, not doing what he wanted to do, but living God's life as a human being doing the will of God, living in such a way that he is able to say, I only do what I see the Father doing. The life Jesus lived on earth is the life that he now wants us to live in and through every Christian, every follower, everyone who has laid claim to his death is now to live his life. The idea here is that of an exchanged life. Jesus' death for ours and our life for his. Let's, let's think of this using uh, an example that, that might have some ability to th- help us think of this. According to the Death Penalty Information Center, Um, on the internet, a website that is given over to helping people understand the death penalty in the United States. On January 1st, 2011, there were 3,251 death row inmates, 321 of whom were in Texas, Texas prisoners. So think for a moment. That's 3,000 individuals sitting on death row waiting for a death sentence. Some are are going to be carried out. There are hundreds that are of executions that happen per year. You can go to that website and know how many. I didn't feel that was relevant. But think about the fact that there is there are men and women on death row that are awaiting that death penalty. And imagine if you can that you are one of those prisoners on death row. And imagine that on the day that you are to be executed, someone, maybe one of the prison guards, offers to take your place. Maybe someone comes in from outside who says, I I am willing to exchange my life for yours. I am willing to die in your place. The only catch is that you can no longer live your life as yourself because you are dying in that exchange life. Your life ends. And you will now live out that person's life. Hard to imagine, but perhaps 
a little something we can perhaps lay hold of. Each of us should have to die to pay the penalty for our sins. Each of us should have to experience eternal death and separation from God for all eternity. That is the consequence of the choice of human freedom and doing it my way. But Jesus stepped in at the right time, in that moment when we needed him most, at the right time, he said, no, I will die in their place. And Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, and we are now alive to live the rest of this time living out his life. Living out the life that he expressed when he said, as declared in Hebrews, I have come to do your will. You have given me a body to offer, a life to live, the exchanged life. Jesus' death for ours and our life for his. Jesus said, God is not looking for us to live lives of rules and regulations. Rather, Jesus declared, I have come to do God's will. And that the perspective of life Jesus is wanting, that is the perspective of life that he is wanting for us as well. The life of self-direction, the the life of self-pursuits, what's best for me, what's in it for me, what are my rights, what am I going to get out of this, are dead. They're gone. They were put in a grave. And in place, from our mouths should come, I am here to do your will, O God. I am here to live the life of Christ. I am here to live that life which Christ gave up for me. Hebrews 14. Uh, 10, 14 through 18, the last verses continue this theme, helping us to try and grasp how is it we're to live? What does this look like? How is it we're to live if, in fact, it is true that Jesus died and in that act we died and now live as a result of his resurrected life? Hebrews 10, 14 through 18 says, By that one offering, Jesus forever made perfect, the word teleos, whole and complete, those who are being made holy. By that one offering, Jesus forever made whole and complete those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he says, I will never again 
Remember their sins and lawless deeds. I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. There is nothing we need or can do to earn God's acceptance. There is nothing we can do to welcome and to earn forgiveness for my past, my present, or my future sins. There is nothing. There is no longer any need to offer any more sacrifices. This is the heart of what the Hebrews writer is trying to get to. He's trying to help these, his readers and us to let go of a, a life of rules, of, of do's and don'ts, based out of accomplishment, and instead to let that die that we might live to the fullness of life in the teleos life, that which is whole and complete, that which is done and finished. Being freed from those entanglements. On the cross, the very last words of Jesus were, it is finished. The word finished in that text is the Greek word teleos, often translated perfect. The same word that is expressed in the Lord's, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, Be ye teleos as my Father in heaven is teleos. And we translate it perfect and we say, That's impossible. I can't be perfect. But Jesus here on the cross says it is teleos. It is done. It is finished. It is perfect. It is done. Through his death on the cross, Jesus finished the work of paying the penalty for sin. He finished the work of making us whole and complete. We are. As a result of what Christ did 2,000 years ago, we are whole and complete as God looks at us. He does not look at us and see sin. He does not see the rebellion. He does not see the choices that we make that discount him and others. He remembers those things no more. And he sees instead little Jesuses. Each one of us, a son, a daughter, living a life fully pleasing to him. From our perspective, looking at the lives of others, looking at our own life for that matter, most of us don't yet see the finished product. But from the cross and from heaven today, 
Jesus saw and sees every one of us made perfect, whole, and complete. Freed from the entanglements of sin. Those things that hinder us from living the fullness of the life of God. And what that looks like is people no longer living according to rules, but rather living out the very life of God. With the will of God, the ways of the life of God written in our hearts and minds. With our sins and misdeeds forgiven and forgotten. So what could that look like for you? What, what could it look like for you to no longer have a will of your own? What could it look like to take up that exchanged life? The life of Christ. To live the life of Jesus according to the will of God. Remember what Jesus said in Gethsemane? Not my will, but your will be done. That's the life of Christ. That is the commitment. That is what it looks like. What if you left church this morning, no longer with the purpose and intent to live life as you thought best, but instead to live life as God thinks is best? What if you got up tomorrow and headed off to work or whatever duties or things that you need to do that day and the next day? What if you headed off with the intention to do those things, to do your job and relate to your co-workers as Jesus would? What if you didn't get up again tomorrow and Jesus got up? Or next week you got up and headed to school with the intention to relate to your teachers and classmates as Jesus would? What if you began to relate to your parents or your children or your brothers and sisters, your neighbors, your friends, as Jesus would relate to them? Could it make a difference if we actually made a decision to die to ourself and live instead as God would have us live? Today is the first day of January. It's the first day of a new year. It's a day when we traditionally make New Year's resolutions, where we commit to some kind of change in our life and then sadly rarely accomplish it. What if you and I lived every day of this year and every day of every year after that for the rest of the time that we breathe on this planet living our lives not as we think best, but as God thinks is best. Living a life out of the very mind of Christ. What if when we blow it, instead of giving up, we decide to try it again and again and again every day for the rest of our lives? And here is the really, really, really cool, exciting thing. You don't have to do it by yourself. You don't have to will it to happen. We have the very person of Christ living in us 
longing to live out his life through us. No longer do I live. I have been crucified with Christ. And every day that I live from henceforth, I live by faith as Christ living through me. This morning, as we do each year, as has been mentioned, I would like to invite you to consider what it would look like for you to live as dead, but alive to Christ, to die to self, to self-pursuit, to self-rights, self-pleasures. What, what might be those things that you need to put off, to die to? Is there anything in your life that you might need to let go of? Open up the coffin, put it in and close the coffin. Is there anything you're holding on to in your own life that is hindering you from living out Christ's life and doing God's will? Is there a hurt or pain from the past that needs to be addressed, whether for the first time or again? Are there traps or time wasters in your life that are hindering you from connecting with God? Of rising early in the morning or late in the evening to connect with Him and through His Word. Each year on the first Sunday of the new year, we have an exercise where we invite you to put off those things that are hindering our pursuit of the purposes of God by writing on a piece of paper those things that we want to put behind and then symbolically to nail them to the cross. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. You should have received a little red paper when you came in looks like that I don't have one up here with me uh, though I do need to get one but I'll get one in a minute has a little cross on it it's an exercise it is simply an opportunity to say what's so to God Perhaps it is to say what things you need to put off. Perhaps it needs to simply be to say the things you're going to do to live out Christ's life. If you don't have one of these red papers, if you could raise your hand. We've got a few people that have them. Also, you're going to need a pen. Thank you. So if you would, just take a minute, reflect. And then what we're going to do is in a few minutes after um, we've worked on that and, and perhaps while you're reflecting, if it's, I'd like to just encourage you, if it is confessing to God that you welcome that forgiveness which has already been declared and for you to say what's so, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that everything that I have messed up this year is already forgiven. 
If it's forgiving yourself, ask God to help you do that. If it's forgiving others, ask God to help you do that. Whatever it is that you need to reflect on based on what you've written here, take a moment, do that. And then if you would, just get up when you're ready. Um, please fold inside whatever is written by you. It's, it's not helpful when you write your confessions out here and then fold it this way and nail it up for all of us to read. Uh, if you would, please fold your words in so that God sees them and you know them and nail them. There's uh, a couple of hammers over there. There's some nails. The Apostle Paul said, So then, my beloved friends, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Without God, there is little that can change in our lives. But without our action to engage and put things behind us, those things that are hindering us in our lives, neither will there be change. As you nail that paper to the cross, I'd encourage you to declare in your heart, maybe out loud, I am a new person in Christ. The old has passed away. Jesus now lives in and through me. And after you've nailed your paper to the cross, we have communion table there. There will be a couple of persons there helping. Uh, those of you who would like to receive communion after you nail your paper. And then uh, additionally, we'll have a few people in the back, kind of behind the seating area off to your right in the back by the by the sound booth, we'll have some folks there that would be willing and able to pray with you to be a part of coming alongside reflection of a mediator, reminding us of Christ and of God's love and care, his forgiveness for us through prayer. And then you can come and sit back in your seats. Later, as you get your children, if you wanted to uh, bring them back in to partner and participate in this. Um, if they're old enough to understand, uh, to help them do that, you're welcome to do that if you would just somewhat keep them a little quieter. There will be some people who will remain here in the seats simply reflecting. We're going to put some music on, um, just some background music. Remember what the Apostle John said in 1 John 1, nine. but if we confess our sins to him, he can be depended on to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, remove from us, heal us from every wrong. So if you would, uh, take a moment to reflect. What is it that you need to declare to him today about living your life fully for him? And then if you would, as you're ready, go to the cross, communion, and prayer if you should so desire. With that, the service is essentially over if you want to slip out um, or if you want to come back to your seat uh, in prayer and reflection, that's fine as well. If we get some music on Benjamin, that'd be great. Thanks for being with us on this uh, New Year's Day and look forward to seeing you again next week. Oh.